going to uh, turn our attention now to this uh, encounter that Jesus has in uh, in Matthew uh, chapter 4. And uh, we are looking at uh, the temptation of Jesus. The temptation of Jesus. And uh, I noticed that Ben's left his, his marshmallows here. Thinking, no doubt, that it would be a temptation for me just to uh, just to nick one, but actually, I don't like marshmallows, so it's uh, it's not really a, a temptation to me. So uh, I'll just leave them there without uh, a second thought. But we are looking this morning at the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter four, and the first thing that I want you to uh, to notice in this passage, as uh, as we look at it, the first thing that uh, you know, sometimes you, you're very familiar with a passage, aren't you? And uh, you think you know about it, and and it's only when you look at it in detail that you suddenly notice one or two things. And the first thing that I noticed uh, that I perhaps hadn't uh, noticed in detail before was that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Jesus was led by the Spirit, which is interesting because in the Lord's Prayer, uh, what is it we pray? Uh, Lead us not into temptation. Uh, deliver us from evil. But here, we read that the Spirit of God actually led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. In other words, uh, this was something that God actually wanted to happen. And it's interesting because remember the context here. Uh, Jesus hasn't preached a sermon. Uh, he's not healed a sick person. Uh, he's, he's not cast out a demon. He's right at the beginning of his ministry. And really this temptation is concerning what sort of ministry uh, Jesus was going to employ. And so as we look at this passage, let's bear that in mind. But first of all, a question, because you may also realise that this is the first appearance of the devil in the New Testament, and uh, I know I got into trouble a few weeks ago uh, when I asked a question about Halloween, but hey-ho, let's ask another question. Uh, should Christians believe in the devil? Should Christians believe in the devil? And already I've got people shaking. Last time I asked questions, I heard a, a great chorus of, no, uh, there's already people shaking heads. Just turn to the person next to you and, uh, and, and have a little discussion. Should Christians believe in the devil? Just for a moment. Okay. What did you decide? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Okay, you've fallen nicely into my trap. But don't listen to me. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had uh, the Reverend Dr. Nigel Wright uh, with us, uh, who's a principal of Spurgeon's College and uh, a teacher in New Testament. You might say an expert in New Testament. And he writes this book called The Theology of the Dark Side, an excellent book. And he says, this is not me, he says, the reply to the question whether Christians should believe in the devil must therefore be a resounding no. Now I can see a, two, a, a few worried expressions. And, uh, and uh, he says, when we believe in something, we have a positive relation to that in which we believe. But for the Christian, a positive relationship to the devil and demons is not possible. We believe in God and on that basis of, of this faith, we disbelieve in the devil. It is an act of disbelief grounded in faith. This may seem to some a quibble over words. 
but it arises out of a very genuine necessary concern that too many Christians have a big devil and a small God. And of course what Nigel is suggesting here is actually when we say we believe in something, normally um, we mean more than its, its mere existence. You know, if, if I say I, I believe in David Cameron, um, I'm not saying that I believe in his existence. Uh, I'm giving the suggestion that I believe what he stands for. Uh, which actually I don't, but we won't get too political uh, this morning because I'll just get into more trouble. <laughs> but do you see what um, Nigel is suggesting here? Uh, we should actually believe against the devil. It was interesting whether, I don't know whether some of you remember a while ago, I think it was a uh, Bible um, Teachers Today series, it had a series of books, I, I believe in the historical Jesus, I believe in the Holy Spirit. When they came to write a book about um, the devil and Satan, uh, the author didn't feel that he could be, he could write a book uh, entitled I Believe in Satan. So he, he wrote a book called I Believe in Satan's Downfall. Um, and so, um, I'm not just playing with words here. Uh, I'm actually trying to be uh, serious. We uh, disbelieve in the devil for a reason. Uh, very often, uh, it's pictured as if the devil and God are, are two equals battling it out. And uh, we actually believe that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We believe that, don't we? Uh, but sometimes we don't act that out in our beliefs systems. The uh, subtitle to Nigel Wright's book, The Theology of the Dark Side, which you might not be able to read, is Putting the Powers of Evil in Its Place. Putting the Powers of Evil in Its Place. And I think this is something that we see in the temptation of Christ. And in all... Uh, Jesus dealing with evil and the devil in the New Testament, that Jesus is wanting to put the place, the evil, in its right and proper place. Of course, we don't need to look very far to be reminded of the evil that happens in this world. And uh, Ben has already encouraged us to pray uh, for uh, Paris. But the way that terrorists work... Um, is to try and enlarge what's actually going on. They want us to fear, don't they? They want us to fear and to stop us going about our daily business. And of course, in reality, um, you know, there was eight people who, yes, caused carnage, but ISIS and uh, other groups are actually quite small. Um, but they do these acts of terror to put fear in everybody and make them actually think to appear, you know, that you are in danger. And who, you know, who amongst us hasn't got on a plane and that thought has, has, has occurred to us, you know, is it going to be safe uh, because of previous terrorist attacks? And it is, it is the same, I think, with the devil and evil. There's a sense in which we can fear it too much and think that the problem is bigger than it actually is. Now that's not to say that what happened in Paris wasn't terrible and awful and it's no uh, consolation to the families and loved ones of those who've lost their eyes to say, you know, the chances of being uh, involved in a terrorist attack are so minimal. Uh, you're, more, you're in more danger when you cross Burnley Road East uh, most of the time. Um, evil is a problem in the world, we know that. And uh, our job, of course, like Jesus 
is to confront evil, but also to put it in its place. So we will pray for Paris and we will continue to pray for Paris. Should Christians believe in the devil? C.S. Lewis famously wrote in his uh, book, The Screw Takes Letters, there are two equal opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. And sometimes we see this in the church. There, 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 there will be people... Uh, maybe here today, but certainly within the church, that would just want to completely uh, disbelieve in the devil as something uh, that our reasoned and capable minds uh, don't need to believe in such suspicious things. There are also those Christians that want to see the devil behind every corner and behind every bad thing that happens. I'm struggling with a cold this week. Is that an attack from the devil? Um, I'm not sure that it is. I think it's just the season of colds and, 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 and flus. And I, I did have a text reminding me from, from the uh, doctors that, 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 that there's a, 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 a flu jab waiting for me. If only I would make my way uh, down to Waterfoot. So uh, maybe it's more my problem than actually a problem with the devil. But you see what I mean, don't you? There are Christians who want to see the devil behind every, everything that goes wrong. And, and when we do that, actually, we are in danger of doing the devil's work for him in making him appear a bigger threat than he actually is and to have more power than he actually has. So let's have a look. Um, Jesus, uh, Nigel Wright goes on to write in his book, whatever modern people have with such a belief, all are bound to admit that the devil is taken with great seriousness in the New Testament, you'll be relieved to know. Uh, so much so that it's impossible to understand New Testament correctly without seeing that the drama it records is a conflict between two, two, between two kingdoms, that of the God of God and that of the devil. So the New Testament does present this conflict between good and evil, and we see it right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And of course, John in his uh, first letter reminds us that the one who does what is sinful is the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So one of the reasons Jesus came was to destroy and to defeat evil. And right at the beginning of his ministry, we see this first confrontation. Matthew is wanting to say that Jesus is king that Jesus rules. And so this is an important encounter. This is an important battle that Jesus has, the temptation of Jesus. And so the first thing I want to say is that Jesus' ministry was based on the Word of God. Jesus' ministry was going to be based on the Word of God, and so should ours. And so should ours. Jesus' ministry was based on the word of God. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live by, but by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This was in response to the devil's first uh, temptation of Jesus. The ministry of Jesus was to be based on the word of God. It's so important that we know what the word of God says, but also that we know how to apply the Word of God. It's one thing to know what God's Word says. It's another thing to know how to actually apply it to our lives. 
Notice that when the devil tempts Jesus, he says, if you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. Trying to raise a doubt and question in Jesus' mind. Again, remember the context um, of this passage. Uh, It's just after uh, Jesus' baptism. When Jesus has heard those words from his Father in heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And straight away, the devil is saying, are you really the Son of God? Would God allow his, his son to go hungry? Would God not want his son to be, uh, to have bread and, uh, and everything else because you are the son of God? If you are the son of God. We saw the same tactic a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at that passage in Genesis chapter three. You know, when the serpent said to Eve, did God really say? Again, questioning, trying to, uh, put doubts in in, in the person's mind and here actually questioning the relationship between Jesus and God. And sometimes we hear a similar voice. Does God really love me? Does God really love me? Would God really allow these things to happen to me? And maybe we've heard other voices. You're no good. You're hopeless. You'll never achieve anything. Voices uh, that come into our minds, that, that, that make us doubt our own goodness and God's goodness. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And remember again the context, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. You would be, wouldn't you? And uh, we are tempted, aren't we? at our weak points. As I said, marshmallows, no, no temptation to me. I don't like them. You know, put a Terry's chocolate orange uh, on the pulpit and uh, yes, I would be very tempted. The devil tempts us at our weak points and, and do we know what our weak points are? Do we know where we can uh, easily fall into temptation? Are we aware? Because that's where we're more likely to be tempted. Tell these stones to become bread. And notice at all, you know, it, it wasn't a terribly bad thing to do. We, we imagine that the devil will always be tempting us to do bad things, don't we? Uh, you know, if you're hungry, is, would it have been a terrible thing to do to, uh, to, 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 to make yourself a meal? And of course, because Jesus had the power to be able to do those sorts of things. It was a real temptation. But it wasn't that bad on the, on, on the surface. But it was bad in the sense that it was, the temptation was not to trust God. To believe that perhaps God didn't have the best in mind for you. So, the first temptation, Jesus responds um, by quoting the word of God. And it's interesting, of course, the quotation, some of you will know, uh, comes from that uh, Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8, which again is very significant because it comes from a passage in Deuteronomy where Moses is leading the people in the wilderness. And of course, the people in the wilderness were hungry. 
And so there's a, there's a direct connection between Jesus in the wilderness and the people of God in the wilderness. And yet Jesus responds by saying, man does not live by bread alone, but by the every word that comes from God's mouth. So Jesus' ministry was based on the word of God. Secondly, Jesus' ministry was going to be based on the work of God. Jesus came to do the Father's will. And this is the, uh, the second temptation. The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And again, you know those words, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Oh, the devil knows scripture as well. There's a surprise, isn't it? The devil knows what scripture says, and he, he quotes this passage from Psalm 91. And again, uh, just as a, an aside, you know, uh, knowing scripture isn't always uh, the best thing unless you know how to apply it correctly. We can misapply scripture, and people often do, don't they? You'll have been in conversations with people where people use scripture in a way that just misses, misapplies it, and this is what the devil does here. He quotes scripture. Uh, again, to try and tempt Jesus to think that he might be doing the right thing if he throws himself off his cliff, forcing God's hand. We'd never do that, would we? We'd never try and force God's hand, would we? Or would we? How many of us have prayed, you know, God, if, if you do this, I'll do that. If you, uh, if you heal this person, then I'll do this or do that. And if we're not careful, we do try and force God's hand, don't we? We're not going to throw ourselves off our cliff. Uh, but we might throw ourselves off a cliff in, in the way that we try to bargain with God. Again, uh, Jesus' response is, 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 is such. I'll never be, uh, I'll never be tempted, you know, to, uh, to, to, to go and buy a Porsche or a Ferrari. Just because it's not within my means. Uh, but Jesus' temptation is real because he is, a, he was able to turn bread. He, he could have turned stone into bread and he could have thrown himself off the, off the roof of the temple and, and landed without being hurt. This was a real temptation. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Some of us say, it seems a little bit unfair, doesn't it? Uh, God allows us to be tested, and he does. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. In that lovely book in the Old Testament, some of you might think it's a lovely book, but you know that I'm quite fond of it. In the book of Job, God allows the Satan character to test Job. We don't like it. Uh, some of us want to argue about why God would allow such things to happen, but we know that God does allow us to be tempted. But Jesus says, don't put yourself in the place of God. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Having faith in God is not putting God to the test. Jesus' ministry was going to be uh, an impressive ministry. It would include miraculous signs and wonders, but at the right time and in the right place and for the right purpose. 
And of course, there is that temptation to chase after signs and wonders. Of course, we want to see signs and wonders. Who doesn't? But there is that chasing after. And Jesus experienced that in his own ministry when, when people came to him and said, show us a sign to prove that you are the, the Son of God. This wasn't the only temptation that Jesus was going to face to impress people. But Jesus wasn't concerned in impressing people. He was concerned with impressing God. He came to do God's will. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus' ministry was based on the work of God. He came to do the work of God. And we know that we too uh, can fall into that place. Remember when uh, when Peter uh, comes to Jesus in uh, in Matthew 16 and, and, and starts to say, surely there must be another way for you other than the cross. And Jesus responds by by saying, get behind me, Satan. Now, it's not that Peter has suddenly turned into the devil incarnate, but he too was trying to put at that moment Jesus off doing the work that God wanted him to do. And of course, this can happen in the church. We are so easily distracted from the work of God, aren't we? So easily distracted. You know, those little little things that occur in church life that distract us and, and, and take on a whole life of their own. Issues that seem so massive and that actually distract us from the mission of God that we are supposed to be about, that stop us and prevent us actually doing what God wants us to do, to share the good news. We get sidetracked and we go up all sorts of dead-end streets on things that we think are so important, but actually are nothing to do with the work of God. It's a challenge to us, isn't it, as a church, to make sure that we're concentrated on the things that God wants us to do and we're not distracted by issues that at the end of the day uh, very often have very little to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus' ministry was based on the work of God and so should our ministry. So should our ministry. And then thirdly and finally, Jesus' ministry was based on the worship of God. Jesus' ministry was based on... Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Uh, no subtlety here now. Is All this I will, I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. The subtlety's gone now. And he's basically saying, worship me and you can have it all. In other words, you don't need to go to the cross. You don't need to suffer. Uh, there's an easy way, the easier way... And that just involves bowing down and worshipping me. And sometimes we face the same temptation. We, we, we look for the easy, less painful route, don't we? If you're anything like me, I certainly do. You want the least possible pain in our lives. But sometimes following God's will can be a very painful experience. It can involve leading us to places that we wouldn't choose to go and be involved in things that we perhaps wouldn't want to be involved in. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Away from me, Satan. Have you noticed that uh, Jesus doesn't 
He's successful where Adam and Eve weren't. Adam and Eve enter into a conversation with the serpent. Jesus doesn't enter into a conversation with the devil. He just tells him what scripture has said and then he says, go away. And we see this in Jesus' ministry. When he was confronted with evil, when he was confronted with demons, he cast them out. And so should we. We should say, away from me, Satan. We shouldn't enter into a conversation with the tempter. Because once we enter into a conversation, we've already lost the battle. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus' ministry was based on the worship of God and so should ours. And so what do we learn from this passage of temptation? Well, we see uh, an example of what we can do when we're faced with temptation. We need to know, first of all, what the word of God says so that we too can quote the word of God. It's very handy to be able to recall a scripture. Not all of us carry our our Bibles around with us in our pockets all the time, but it's very useful when we're faced with situations to be able to bring a passage of scripture to mind to help us in that situation. And that means uh, reading and even learning passages of scriptures off by heart or carrying passages of scriptures around us that we think might be helpful. Uh, we can do that now because we have all sorts of clever devices, don't we? Like our phones and our, you know, iPads and, and, and laptops and stuff where we, where the word of God actually is very often at hand. And it's not a bad idea to turn to the word of God. So when you're facing a difficult situation, have a look what God's word has to say and use God's word. We probably don't use God's word enough. Now, we don't want one of these people that's forever in the workplace, you know, quoting scripture at people um, for the sake of it. But sometimes a word of God in season is exactly what is needed. And certainly when we face difficult times and frightening times like the world is facing at the moment, we need to be aware of what scripture has said and we need to be able to turn to it. We also need to be aware of, you know, what we are about and what we're supposed to be doing. Jesus was absolutely convinced and sure of what his ministry was about and also what it wasn't about. So that he wasn't going to be distracted and, and led astray and uh, producing signs at the drop of a hat. He knew exactly what he was about and why he had come. And sometimes we get confused, don't we, in what we are supposed to be doing. There's so many things that we could be doing. And uh, it would be a mis- mistake to try and do lots of things. But what is it that we are supposed to be doing as a church? What has God called us to do? Well, to make disciples. To try and reach people for Jesus. That's, that's our main aim. And yet, I guess if we were to do a graph of, you know, of, of the time and spent in church on different activities, actually the mission of God probably wouldn't come out as well as it should have done. Because I said we, we do get distracted on, on, on secondary issues that take us away from speaking the words of God to people. And then, of course, our call, our, our very sense is that we are, our first duty is to worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. We are called to live a life of worship. Paul says, you know, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. On a daily basis, 
uh, we offer our worship to God. So will you face temptation? Yes, you will face temptation. Will you be successful when you face temptation? Well, probably the truth of it, sometimes you will and sometimes you won't. But Jesus was prepared. He spent 40 days in the wilderness before he was tempted. 40 days fasting. He was preparing for his ministry. And we too need to be make sure that we are well prepared for our ministry. That we know what we're about. Jesus' ministry was based on the word of God. He knew the word of God and he knew how to apply it. It was based on the, the work of God. He knew what he came to do and he did it. And his ministry was based on the worship of God. He chose God's will and not his own.